0: It is the Scouted Football podcast here. As always, I'm your host, Joe Donoghue, and it is, of course, mid-February, which, as you will all know, is the time when the first edition of this year's Scouted Football handbook is set to be released. It's volume five for us in its current print incarnation, set to be with you very soon. Um, Thank you to everyone who's subscribed to all four of 2020's volumes so far. If they're as good as last year's, you'll not be disappointed. Uh, And I've got a very good feeling that they're they're going to be even better this year. Um, We plan on getting our favourite Australian, Stephen Gnavis, back on the pod in the coming weeks to talk us through all things Volume 5, what's changed, whose profiles to look out for, and uh, the perks of having a a Scouted Football subscription, brand new in 2020, of course. Um, I think we've got 16 different nationalities of the 25 players in the latest book. Uh, But today, on this episode of the Scouted Football, Football podcast we'll be focusing on one country in particular and that is Ireland of course that means that today we're joined by an expert on Irish football an Irishman himself uh, Ronan Murphy is a social producer and football journalist for goal.com specializing in the Bundesliga and of course Irish football Ronan welcome to the scouted football podcast making your debut uh, not too battered and bruised after braving storm Kira over the past week or so I hope how's things with you
1: no, not too bad. I'm, I'm hoping for a, a momentous debut, uh, maybe a Robbie Keane hat-trick sort of, sort of debut. That's what my fingers are crossed for, so hopefully I can, I can live up to some historical Irish debuts like that.
0: That's what we're hoping for. First of all, I suppose it, it's best to start with you, um, and, and it would be best to let people know where, where they can find you and where they can find your work. Uh, I'm sure there are plenty of interesting pieces you've written, plenty of interesting stories you've got from some of the major tournaments you've covered, so where can they find you?
1: Yeah, so like you said, I'm a social producer and football journalist for Goal. So, what that means is that I run the some of the social media accounts on different shifts. There's a, I think about half of the, half a dozen of us that maybe cover social media. So if there's if there's some post on Twitter that that Gaul has posted and you don't like it, it's clearly from somebody else. But if you think it's brilliant, <laughs> it's clearly from me. Yeah. So I uh, you can you can find me then writing on goal and on, on Bundesliga usually the, the Irish stuff. I, I get to do it from time to time and I get to go to the matches and stuff. But it's it's not a a weekly interest to uh, our international audience, unfortunately. But uh, you can you can find me talking about Irish football and Irish players and giving out that Tripart still isn't getting starts for for Tottenham or even getting into the Tottenham be- on the Tottenham bench. You can find stuff like that on my Twitter, which is at uh, Swervenapal. Yeah, that is it's quite an unconventional Twitter handle. That I mean, where does, where does it come from? Is there is there a good story behind it? There's a bit of a story behind it. I'm not sure where you'll say it's going. I'll let you judge at the end. But back when I was kind of finished college or in the latter years of college I was I was doing doing kind of music writing on, on the side a small bit of r- music writing and I wanted to start my own music blog and then I was looking for a name for it and in order to get a bit of money to uh, to pay my way through college I was working in a, a customer service job in a software company and when I started the guy before me had uh, Paul had set up all these templated emails that Most of, like 95% of the people emailing in would have kind of one of 10 problems. And the the solutions were always fairly straightforward. So rather than updating these emails, I sent them back just as the ones that he had made with the name Paul on them. So then anytime anyone phoned up, they'd be looking for Paul and they would get me. So it kind of came from that that people in the office were calling me Paul all the time. So I had to kind of insist that, no, I'm not Paul, despite the fact that all the customers are calling me this. I
0: suppose, yeah. it's a, It's got a, quite a little
1: niche, uh, quirky story, that. Um, but yeah,
0: you're, you're not working in, in that job anymore. And, and I imagine, you, I mean, you don't get called Paul as often, but I imagine it'll be similar to the rest of us involved in sort of the world of football journalism. But, but what was it that made you want to become a football journalist?
1: Um, I think I started originally writing myself in a... A school friend, we ran our own football blog just kind of focusing on Irish footballers. I had been doing music stuff for a while and a bit of kind of entertainment culture sort of books. I did I did some stuff for RTE Freelance, did the Irish equivalent of BBC, I suppose you can call them, even covering a bit of sport for them. And then I kind of had an idea that myself and this friend who were, were passionate about Irish football would would cover Irish footballers playing Outside of Ireland, sorry, in the Premier League or in Scotland in the championship in the lower levels in England and even further field because Ed McGeady was with Spartak Moscow, I think, at, at that time. So it was kind of a broad look at at Irish football or Irish footballers around the world and Green Scene, it was called. It was it was fairly popular at the time. We, we had a few radio slots and things like that. We got mentioned a bit here and there. And <clears throat> from there, I suppose, I ended up working for goal because... Goal Ireland launched in 2012, ahead of Euro 2012, and Ireland had qualified, and the Goal started up an Irish edition, and they were looking for writers, and I somehow ended up as one of them, and originally part-time, I ended up <clears throat> working full-time, and I've been with Goal since... 2012 so yeah I've been there what eight years now at this stage.
0: Yeah Aidan McGeady at Spartak Moscow that's a bit of a blast from the past I always forget that he kind of went on that little Russian adventure there. Uh, are there any memorable moments uh, from your time working at Goal uh, that really stick in, stick in your mind as
1: sort of as big sliding doors moments in, in your career? Um, I suppose the, the transition from part-time to full-time was a big one for me because I had been kind of working for Goal Ireland in the evenings and at the weekends and it wasn't it was only kind of some money, but it wasn't sustainable as a job. And I think when when the opportunity came to move to Goal International, it actually came because Goal Ireland was disappearing, and it's no longer, say, a standalone edition covered League of Ireland, or we don't do anything like that anymore because unfortunately the interest wasn't there. So I think that was the the end of Irish football for me was probably the, the big moment in my career where I was able to give up working a a nine-to-five job and then just become a football journalist one time
0: (laughs) yeah well I hate to be bringing you back to the Irish football on this on this episode it's only an hour I promise um but do you have any favorite football memories I mean particularly ones which might be aligned with the Irish national team or or anything in particular like that
1: yeah I suppose to my favorite memories are. I grew up I was always a big Ireland fan I used to support Aston Villa when I was a child because of all the Irish players that played for for Aston Villa Ray Houghton, Andy Townsend, Steve Staunton, Paul McGrath, players like this, the reason I support him at that time, I I kind of lost touch in my teenage years, but I never stopped being an avid Ireland fan, and I I know I'm meant to be a professional or whatever, but when you're at the matches and Ireland are doing well, you can't help but enjoy it, and I, I think... You, you never in the press box, you never see anybody celebra- celebrating any goals or anything like that. But when Shane Long scored the goal against Germany a few years ago, the, I, I never seen so many journalists kind of lose their professional edge and just jump around and cheer. And I, I think that for working in it, I think that's probably one of the, the best moments for me anyway, career wise. I
0: think they're, they're sort of the moments that you can excuse breaking the unwritten rule really that, you know, a, a huge moment like that. I'm sure I'd be exactly the same. Um, But I'm aware I've sold this as as an Irish episode and I promise we are getting on to that. But I suppose one last question. It'd be a shame to to not tap into your Bundesliga expertise uh, and and not ask about the the likes of Jadon Sancho, um, who has been phenomenal for the best part of 18 months now. I I suppose from someone who who watches him week in, week out, you're probably better placed.
1: But how far do you reckon that he can go? I think perhaps he can be in contention for the Ballon d'Or in a few years I, I think he kind of has that level that Mbappe sort of skill set or kind of potential anyway to reach those le- that level because he's he's already kind of tearing up the Bundesliga and is he's not just a one season wonder he did it last season and he already has equaled his goal and assist tally from, from last season and it's still only February he still has what 13 games left this season to, to kind of smash the records that he, he set in both goals and assists and I think it's rare enough that you get a player who contributes goals and assists to the kind of level that he has, and he continues to do, even though he's only 19. So I I can't see any reason why he wouldn't reach the top, and I know he's probably going to move on in the summer because so many teams are interested in him, but wherever he does go, I I, I don't see any problem with him kind of settling in and maybe just being as big a star for for the likes of a, a top Premier League club or maybe one of the big two in Spain.
2: Yeah,
0: he's definitely a player that you know will be reaching the pinnacle of, of world football as his career progresses. I suppose one of the players that that you'll be hoping reaches a similar level uh, from an Irish perspective is Troy Parrott. I mean, that, that that little starter leads us nicely sort of into the meat of this podcast, which is of course Irish footballers age 23 and under, uh, and you know, and why we should be excited about them. Um, I mean, it's no great secret that the, the the League of Ireland isn't as competitive in comparison to other European leagues uh, in European competition, uh, and I suppose we'll get on to discussions about why that might be the case shortly Uh, but the point I'm trying to make is that a great deal of Ireland's youngsters are instead plying their trade in England Troy Parrott being one of those obviously at Tottenham Hotspur Um, you know he's 18 years old just signed a new contract keeping him at the club until 2023 when he'll still just be 21 there's reason to be excited about Parrott from a Spurs perspective but particularly from an Irish perspective I mean from from an Irish
1: standpoint why is that the case? Yeah, I think the big thing that you would have seen managers in previous in the last few years, Martin O'Neill kind of particularly, and Mick McCarthy is kind of following the same trend that we don't have another Robbie Keane is the is the kind of statement because Robbie Keane obviously wanted the top scores in international football of any country, and when you when you have kind of young guys or players or journeymen players trying to fill his boots, it, it kind of seems impossible, and he used to be able to make a goal out of nothing, and I think Ireland are kind of lacking that clinical edge in front of goal at the moment. And we have kind of just a, a rabble of, of forwards at the moment. And Dave McGoldrick is the kind of key man for Ireland. And when you look at his form for Sheffield United and you even look at his goal-scoring record for Ireland, he's won goal, goal in 12 games, It doesn't really scream top goal-scorer. And I think that is what Ireland are lacking. And because because we are so badly lacking it, A lot of kind of Irish hype and Irish attention and the fans and the media here are all about Tri Parrot as maybe the next Robbie Keane or the next player who's going to get 20 plus goals, international goals for Ireland.
0: Yeah I mean he made his senior Republic of Ireland debut in November um, starting against New Zealand uh, and and obviously in doing so became uh, the second youngest starter in Irish history and and the youngest debutant since some fella that you just mentioned called Robbie Keane. Um, Internationally you've alluded to it
1: just there but what is his future looking like over the next couple of years? Yeah so at the moment because he's not getting into the Tottenham team I don't see him having any chance of getting into the the team under Mick McCarthy, or he mightn't even get into the squad for the the March playoff games. Well, at least one game. Anyway, we have Slovakia away, and then it might be a trip to Northern Ireland if we if we beat Slovakia, which would be a kind of a really appealing one for Irish fans. But the way Mick McCarthy is talking about him, he's not playing at the moment. He he was asked, Mick was asked, was he happy he signed a new contract at Tottenham and that he's staying at the club? And Mick said that he was happy for. For Troy, but he wasn't happy for himself because it means he's not going to really play before these games in March. So I, I wouldn't expect him to to play until Stephen Kenny becomes the manager, and that won't happen until August. And so we probably won't see Troy pirate until until the 2020 21 season, probably getting a second cap for Ireland. In the long term, then I I imagine depending on how he progresses, he could be he could be a player to get a hundred caps for Ireland.
0: You mentioned Stephen Kenny there, and um, I suppose for anyone who's unaware of the current managerial situation with Ireland's national team, it's Mick McCarthy in charge for a couple more months, as you just mentioned, and then the under-21 boss Stephen Kenny takes over. What it's a bit unconventional. What was the FAI's thinking
1: behind that? Yeah, so after sacking Martin O'Neill, or mutually uh, shaking hands, or whatever they like to call it, they, they dumped Martin anyway. Uh, after getting rid of Martin, did everyone in the country kind of wanted, the, the fans of, of League of Ireland especially, but even fair weather fa- fans that would f- follow an English team, bar stoolers or whatever, they're might plastics or whatever, <laughs> uh, whatever they're ca- called by League of Ireland fans. But, but they obviously have the, the right to have an opinion themselves. Everyone kind of wanted Stephen Kenny because he had done so well in the League of Ireland. He's League of Ireland's best ever manager. But as well as that, he had gotten Dundalk to the, the group stages of the Europa League. He kind of was... Was scaling unprecedented heights with Irish teams, and not only was he getting good results, he was putting in his teams were putting in good performances in those results. And he plays a kind of nice possession-based style of football. And no matter who he was at, he he would always try and play attractive football. And I think the problem with Irish teams in in the pre, in the last few years has been the result is all that matters, and it doesn't really matter about the about the performance. And that's even going back to Giovanni travattoni before Martin O'Neill. People in Ireland kind of wanted Stephen Kenny to be the manager, but there was a kind of feeling at the at the FEI that he didn't have enough clout. And English players who who had never who had never played in the League of Ireland or even players born in England or born in Scotland wouldn't know who this guy was, and he wouldn't have the respect of maybe some of these players in the dressing room. And because of that, they offered him the under 21 job. For Ireland, but he didn't want the under-21 job, obviously, because he thinks he's too good for that, and he, he is too good for that, as he has shown, because he his under-21 team are Ireland's best ever under-21 team, I'd imagine. And uh, because of that, then they decided, well, we'll train them in the under-21 until after this the European Championships, but because this European Championships are so important to, to the FAI and yeah, to Ireland, because there's there's matches in Dublin, group stage matches, and then one knockout stage match, because of this, we'll get Mick McCarty, because he'll. everyone knows him, and he's been a successful Irish manager before. He's got Ireland to the World Cup, and he had this pedigree that, that he could probably get Ireland to the Euros and then pass the baton to Stephen Kenny afterwards. But what seems to have happened is that Ireland have kind of just stuttered along under Mick McCarty, and then people are looking for Stephen Kenny to get, get through the door as soon as possible, so... Already Irish fans and Irish media are looking to the future and Mick McCarty kind of he, he inherited a it was a difficult job because he knows he has no future and no matter how successful he is, it's not gonna last. And because of all the pressure of just getting to one tournament and he only had one campaign, he was never going to really give too many chances to, to the likes of parish because it's not in his interest to for the long-term future of the of the Irish team. He just needs to qualify for this one tournament and that's it for him.
0: Obviously, Mick McCarthy is more identifiable as a manager. And, and you know, you mentioned the, the stuff about the games being hosted in Dublin for, for this summer Euros. Is it perhaps a reflection on the League of Ireland uh, that Stephen Kenny went into the 21s rather than straight into the first team?
1: I don't think it necessarily is a, a reflection of League of Ireland. It's probably a reflection of the perception of the League of Ireland that the FAI have held, and it's the, the wrong kind of perception that the, the country's football association would have been held, would have held. But uh, I think that may be changing this year because there's a whole new board gone in, and after a lot of different kind of well-publicised issues, a lot of the, the old cronies that were in the FA are gone last went last year and. They have a new setup, and Niall Quinn, the, the former Arsenal star, is he's big in it now. He's a, he has an important role, and he with the launch of the League of Ireland coming this weekend, he he was front and center to a lot of the, what the media work and a lot of the promotional things, and it shows that maybe there's a bigger connection with the between the FAI and the League of Ireland going forward, which is a very positive thing. So I think maybe maybe to answer your question, then I think. They just didn't have the trust there and then for Kenny. And I think probably the big problem for Kenny not getting the job straight away was was not necessarily that the League of Ireland wasn't respected enough, or he didn't have the experience. It probably was the fact that the Euros were in Dublin. And this is just such a huge financial thing for the FAI that they went with the tried and trusted rather than taking risk.
0: No, I suppose that seems fair enough. You know, there's a lot on the line. It seems more like a political decision than than anything else. But just going back to sort of the youth football angle, to to me, from a youth football perspective, it seems that with Stephen Kenny coming in as as the manager later this year, that can only be seen as a positive for the young lads that are coming through. You know, the lads that you've just described as uh, probably the best under-21 Irish sides that that there ever has been.
1: Yeah, I would imagine so. I'm not saying it's it's on paper... it's the best, to, I'm not saying they're the most talented group of under-21s that they've ever had, because obviously there was a Brian, Brian Kerr's side won European tournaments at under-19 and under-17 level in the 90s, and you had Robbie Keane and Richard Dunn and players like that, Damien Duff, players like that coming through at the time, but the way Stephen Kenny has them playing, they're the most successful, and they could be the first Ireland team to actually reach the under-21 European championships. And when you think of a country with, at, that has a football and statures as Ireland's, There's no reason that that 2020 should be or 2021 should be the first time that we've ever qualified for a European Championships at under 21 level. It's kind of ridiculous that it hasn't happened before. But the professionalism that he's kind of brought to it, and the way he set up the team, and the the way he has he has them play in particular formation that or particular tactics that even if he does lose some of his key players, like when Adam Aaron Connolly or Troy Parrott were called into the senior side he was still able to carve out results because it's more about the philosophy rather than the players that are actually there. So I think they have the perfect manager at the moment, but they're, the under-21s are unfortunately going to leave, lose them shortly to the senior side. But that can only be good for the players who have been playing under Stephen Kenny in the under-21s for the last couple of years, because he'll know them so well. And on the other hand, they'll also know exactly what to expect from him and how to play for him and what's needed. And there won't be such a gap maybe of stepping up from under 21 international level to senior international level. Well, yeah, one of those players is of course, Troy
0: Parrott, who has been playing for, for the under 21s very recently, of course, um, just going back to him, for, for anyone who hasn't seen him in his, you know, short cameos for Spurs or hasn't seen him for, for the Irish uh, under-21 side, what type of striker is he? Because to me, you know, he, he always catches my eye with his ball striking ability. He always shoots with with like real conviction, which I suppose you always really want in sort of that old fashioned striker mould.
1: Yeah, I think I think the the kind of Harry Kane comparison is a good one because. That that people are obviously using from Tottenham, and even the Robbie Keane thing, the next Robbie Keane or whatever, because he is one of these one of these forwards who has great off the ball movement, and he's kind of clever on on the ball, and he holds it up well. And I think the fact that isn't just maybe a goal hanging striker, he's he's one of these players who is happy enough to to drop back and pick up balls around the box, and maybe even have a go from outside the box and stuff like that. I think he he's the kind of perfect. He is the perfect player to to kind of step into those Harry Kane shoes or those Robbie Keane shoes. I I think the the comparisons sometimes and stuff like that tend to be lazy comparisons, but I think in this instance, it probably isn't yeah I, I agree with that sentiment there I, I suppose
0: comparisons do tend to be lazy because that in, in their nature they are because no two football players are alike but yeah you you can see the parallels between himself and Harry Kane I mean just at a basic level just the way that he strikes a ball you know he seems very confident but also in the way that you know he will drop in and pick pick balls up in areas and, and the fact that in, in the under 21 side you know how he's been maybe played out a little bit on the left to accommodate Adam Ida showing that versatility which I suppose it at his age, at 18, is, is only going to benefit him in the eyes of the likes of and Kenny. Um, I've just touched on Adam Ida there, of course, another teenage Irish striker playing for a Premier League club, which, which is Norwich City. He, he's another who's 18 years old and another who's probably one of the youngest in that Irish under-21 crop. He scored a hat-trick in the FA Cup uh, in just his second start for the club for Norwich uh, against Preston North End, no less. Uh, so not exactly a League Two sides, um, which is perhaps an indicator of of where he's at in his development. I suppose it's the same question as it
1: was with Troy Parrott, really. What type is is he sort of a different type of striker? He probably is more of a pacey striker maybe than Parrott is. I, I think that's part of his strength too. He he can get in behind the fences and he can play off the last man. And maybe whereas Parrott, you're looking to get the ball to his feet, and maybe Parrott is more happy to play with his back to goal. I think. Ida's happier when he's looking towards goal and he's driving at defenders or he's already got the ball and he's past defenders and he's staring down the goalkeeper and he's looking to, to see where to shoot. And I think, the, like you mentioned, the FA Cup match that he scored a hat-trick in, I think that was kind of a perfect example of the type of player he is because all all of his goals, all three of his goals were, were different sort of goals. So They showed kind of off-the-ball movement and intelligence and even kind of reactions and quick thinking and things like that that maybe sometimes Irish strikers have been lacking in recent years and he he definitely looks like he he is the total package Uh, I just think he just found himself in a difficult situation with the way the club are kind of struggling at the moment
0: the expectation is that with Norwich being bottom of the Premier League at the moment that the likelihood is that they'll be relegated this season I mean he'll be 19 next year if Norwich drop into the championship, I mean, how how far would you see that benefit in him a, a
1: year at that level? Yeah, I think it's probably the best thing that could happen to him personally, obviously not the, the club itself, but him personally, it's probably the best thing to happen because I think if Norwich do get relegated, obviously they're going to have it. They're probably got to move on from Timo Huki because they won't be able to afford his wages. So team Bigger teams are going to be knocking on their door, trying to get a player who scores that often and, for internationally and in the premier league so he's definitely going to get much more chances to to show what he's made of and to develop as a as a player on the pitch in matches that matter
0: yeah that was going to be my next question really was sort of the the playoff between you know who's going to who's going to give him minutes and i suppose It'll probably depend on whether the current regime stays in place. I mean, I know Stuart Webber's very high up in, in, in Norwich um, in terms of his director of football role, but at a lower level, sort of the the managerial side of things, do you think that there's maybe... Do you think Daniel Farker, if he stays, would have the faith to blood Adam Ida as a more
1: regular striker? I think he would. I think the way he's spoken of him, he kind of has doubts of his ability currently at the t- highest level. But I think... As he progresses as a player and if Norwich did drop down to the championship, I think Farka would have no problems playing Ida on a more regular ba- basis because some of the things on the, on the opposite side that he said about him, he obviously t- highly regards Ida and he thinks he is going to be a star. So if they do get relegated, there's no reason why they shouldn't kind of bet on Ida because if he does what they hope he's going to do, He could either help him get back into the Premier League at the first time of asking, or else if he he does end up being a star at championship level, they'll make a big profit off him.
0: Yeah, he's done it at various different levels as well. I mean, he was the Premier League two player of the season nominee last year after uh, 12 goals in 19 games for Norwich's under-23 side. I think it's probably assumed that he's outgrown that level now with the January window having just passed do you think that alone could have been beneficial for him given that he's probably not likely to to get too many minutes in in the next few months given that Norwich will be you know trying to fight for survival and the fact that they're going to rely on Timu puki to, to to score their goals yeah
1: i I think alone probably would have been best for him and he was I had heard that Charlton were very interested and there were even a talks for a deal, but it just didn't work out because in the end Norwich weren't willing to let, to let him go because Farca sees him as the third striker there at the moment. So the fact that he's kind of maybe indicating that he is the, 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 the third striker means that if Pokey d- does leave, he'll be the second striker then or maybe even the first striker depending on transfer. What well, it happened in the transfer market this summer, but I would have liked to see him get game time this season and maybe it got on a loan and get kind of more senior matches under his belt because he has shown that he can do it against championship teams. And there's no reason why he couldn't do it on a weekly basis in the championship or in League One. The
0: question that Irish football fans will be wondering is is hypothetically... Can Parrott and Ida play together? I mean, I know they have done for the twenty ones, but it's not been as a, a typical nine and ten setup in in sort of a four four two because you know, that's not what Stephen Kenny plays. I mean, is can you see th- there being a future in the national team where the two can play together, or do you think it's going to be a case of one or the other really?
1: I think it's a case that that they probably will. Stephen Kenny will probably find a way where the ball can play together and Ireland's underage teams have been playing 4 3 3 by and large because of Rude Doctor, the kind of the Netherlands or the the, the Dutch kind of supremo who came in to revolutionise Irish underage football. And as a result, all the Irish underage teams are playing 4 3 3 up until under 21 level. And then it's to the seniors, you, you end up with the hodgepodge of kind of tactics, whatever the manager wants at the time. But I think because of Stephen Kenny has kind of been ingrained into this 4 3 3 at the moment. He might stick with that, and we might see, as you said, either through the middle and parrot out on on the left, and maybe O'Femi or someone like that, or, or obviously some of the other senior players, maybe Callum Robinson players like that, playing on the right in, in the long term for Ireland.
0: Do you think that Stephen Kenny will probably take that similar style, that four-three-three that you know he's played with um, at the under-21s setup? Do you think he'll take that into the into the senior manager's job and sort of try and create a, an identity where, you know, you've got your underage teams from under-17 level to to the under-21s and then into the first team? So there's sort of a,
1: a pathway and a, and a way of playing within Irish football. I think what from the interviews he's given, he has been impressed by the fact that there is that continuity at an underage level. And I think he would like to, I know circumstances might not, allow him to and the pressures of being the senior international manager because there's the, in Ireland there's not really a lot of pressure being on the under, the under 21 manager or the under 19 or 17 manager you could it's a kind of job for life if you are willing to to stay there forever the previous under 21 manager Noel King was there kind of nearly as long as you could remember before St- Stephen Kenny came through the door so I think he would like to play 4 3 and he probably would like to continue this setup but I think the difficulty of senior international football might prevent it, but initially it's probably what he will start with and maybe he'll develop his own kind of system or his own tactics from there.
0: We've been discussing Adam Ida and, and Troy Parrott, of course, over the next few years, given the, how much you've seen of them at, at youth level and, and sort of in, in their little cameos for their clubs, over the next one or two seasons, who do you think is sort of going to probably come to the fore quickest?
1: I think Adam White will probably come to the fore quickest because of the situation. I said obviously earlier that the situation at the moment is terrible for him. But if Norwich do get relegated, the situation could end up being brilliant for him because he'll be the first or second choice striker at a championship club and he'll still get a lot of games whereas Parrott at Tottenham Mourinho shows no desire to loan him out he still thinks he's too young and he ha- he's home grown for the Champions League and stuff like that it is a reason to keep him around and because of that I think he's not getting enough games even at reserve level at the moment he, he's finding it hard to play any sort of football at the moment so, so I think Parrot's development it's great for him to train with the, the senior players but even with Harry Kane injured, he's he doesn't seem to get any minutes. So it it looks difficult for him to get any minutes in the near future, anyway, unless maybe he did go out on loan next season.
0: Yeah, I mean, a loan to a Championship club perhaps could be could be an avenue in the summer um, because you know he'll still be 18, 19 years old next season. So there's there's always the, the possibility that you know he's he's going to he's going to develop more as a striker. He's going to develop more as a player, and I suppose he might develop more as a person. You know, going to Somewhere in in the championship, maybe the lower reaches of the table, you know, having to having to really work hard and not being used to the same sort of facilities that you'll be you'll be used to at Spurs. Um, just touching more on on the football league, uh, Lincoln City currently have two uh, young Irish under 21 internationals on their books uh, now after the January window. Uh, They're they're obviously a League One side, um, but they are Zach Elbizedi, who signed on a permanent deal from Waterford, and Connor Coventry, who uh, joined on loan from West Ham United. Um, I mean, we'll start with Elbizedi. He's very much an under-the-radar signing, I suppose, moving from the League of Ireland, from Waterford, to a mid-table League One club. Um, You know, that's that's not going to make the headlines on Sky Sports News, you know what I mean? But he plays in the same side as the likes of Ida and Parrot internationally, but perhaps because he's not on the books of a Premier League club, isn't spoken about as much. I, I imagine most weren't aware of El Bozzetti's existence before today's podcast, but from an Irish perspective, people will obviously be a lot more clued up.
1: Is there a great deal of hope for him in sort of this attacking trio? I think there is. I think he, El Buzetti, people in, in Ireland, kind of had the hope that maybe he could stick around the League of Ireland a bit longer because he, he was getting on so well at Watford and he was kind of he was kind of one of these kind of breakout stars for the league of ireland and for a league that maybe is ignored too often as people look to the premier league and the media look to the premier league and fans look to the premier league to kind of need these these young stars and especially irish players if they were able to get into the the senior ireland squad if a league of ireland player there's jack Byrne at the moment and he's the only one and the fact that there is only one and He's the first in years kind of to get games as a League of Ireland player. Irish people kind of look to hope that these young guys do stick around in Ireland. But I think they'll all admit that a move to a League One club is probably best for a player's career, even though it's not the most glamorous so and it's not going to make any headlines. Like you said, it's not going to be on Sky Sports. But if he can impress that Lincoln and maybe help them get promoted or move up to divisions, it's, it's probably the best for El himself and then the best for Irish football in general.
0: Yeah, so El is he's, he's a right winger, obviously, as you mentioned, they're currently playing at Lincoln, and I suppose, you know, coming from the League of Ireland, do, do you feel that there are more lads going from that league to the English Football League who had,
1: should have more notice taken of them? Yeah, there, probably, there probably is. I, I think English clubs have for a long time looked to the League of Ireland to, to find maybe cheap players that have experience at a high level and experience at on weekly competitive football and especially young guys like i was or or any of the the previous guys that have moved over uh, i think when you're 17 18 19 and you're playing against seasoned veterans in in their 20s and 30s i think that's a, a good thing for any player's development and i think english clubs kind of look to that and and expect that the players when they do come over that they'll be a bit more formed or maybe a bit more further along in their development and and the equivalent English player would be at the the same age because perhaps they haven't played played as many senior games and they haven't played proper competitive football. There's no comparison between playing competitive football to playing reserve football in front of our 14 staff members probably in, in the Premier League too. Uh, you mentioned there that English clubs have, have long looked to, to the
0: League of Ireland for cheap alternatives. I suppose the one that will always stick in people's minds is, is Seamus Coleman, probably about a decade ago now. You know, picked up for 50 grand or whatever it was and now he's one of Everton's biggest appearance makers and, and, and a, a staple of the Irish national team. Is is there a pathway there currently from the League of Ireland to the English Football League? Um, or do you
1: think that's something that's been lacking between clubs in, in the past few years? Yeah, there used to be some sort of... There used to be some sort of obvious and well-promoted partnerships. A Dublin club, not a League of Ireland team, but a junior side home farm who used to have a partnership with Everton and they would often send their players through. There was a pathway there, but I don't think there's necessarily too many obvious pathways. I think there are certain clubs like Preston or, or like Lincoln at the moment who look to Ireland and will take chances on Irish players and Wolves in the past. You look at Matt Doherty when he, he went over and he's he still there and now he's one of the best full-backs or wing-backs in the, in the Premier League. And I think there are certain avenue, avenues there, but there's not say a, a set pathway. But because of Brexit at the moment and leaving the EU and the way that kind of underage employment law will work, I think what we, you will see is... Legally, anyway, what you'll see is that players will stay in Ireland until 18, and then they'll move on after that, because clubs won't be English clubs won't be allowed to sign under-18 players from Ireland anymore. But some of the bigger clubs will probably find ways to circumvent those rules. But uh, what you have seen in the past is a lot of Irish players who have moved over have moved over to lower division clubs. And I think maybe we might see less and less of that as it goes forward. So the pathway that you speak of. Maybe some of the the cobbles might be missing in the in the next few years. I was just about to say we've got to episode seventeen of the Scouted Football Podcast without mentioning Brexit,
0: but we just we've just broken the streak there. Um, just going back to back to Lincoln City, because obviously there's, there's Conor Coventry, who's also there, who's um, another Irish under-21 international, uh, joining on loan from West Ham in January. I'm not too clued up on the situation there, but I do know that they added quite a handful of um, young players on loan in January, including the likes of Tyrese John-Jules from Arsenal. So perhaps there's been a drive towards blood in youth, and, and as you mentioned, maybe trusting youth um, with a, a handful of Irish young players there, which I suppose in good measure is good. Um Just on Connor Coventry, he's featured quite heavily since joining, which is what West Ham will want and particularly what Irish fans will will be pleased about, given that it's it's his first taste of, of regular club football um having you know not played in the League of Ireland and then played at, at Premier League two level. you know it's obviously, as you mentioned, not the same level, not maybe not the same intensity. At a base level, I'm aware that he's primarily a holding midfielder, but I haven't seen too much of him outside of the youth international games for Ireland. I, I suppose, good, just coming to you, what, what are sort of his strengths? What Where do you think his game falls down at the moment?
1: Yeah, I think it, it's obvious that he wasn't going to be a player that moved from the League of Ireland because he's a Londoner, so he's he's one of these kind of dual, dual players. But unlike Declan Rice at West Ham, I, I think the, this English-born player might stick around with Ireland, thankfully. But uh, yeah, he, he is the, that sort of traditional in midfield player and he was given his Ireland Under-21 debut by Stephen Kenny he to, and he played at the long tournament last season, which was our last summer, which kind of was a, a huge step forward for Stephen Kenny as Ireland Under-21 international manager and it was kind of where people that had been poo the idea that that Kenny might might not have the to, to kind of cojones to step up to the senior level that this guy actually is the real deal and he, he came forth in the tournament and it was only a defeat to Brazil that was that knocked Ireland out in the end. And Coventry was one of the, the star players. He kind of he, he's the kind of player that'll take the game by the scruff of the neck and he'll break up play and he'll help prevent opposition attacks. And I think that's the kind of thing he does best at the moment. He's he he is one of these kind of deeper midfielders and he, he, he has the kind of proper mentality to move into the right positions. And because of that, that he has, Stephen Kenny has stuck with him and he's kind of been so, so successful. I think as for weaknesses, I think maybe he, he maybe needs to get forward a bit more, but whether that is actually necessarily something that he needs to do under a particular manager is a, is a different question because a lot of managers maybe will be happy enough with the defensive role he plays and that's good enough for them. And the fact that he does it so well Maybe it isn't something he needs to another string he needs to add to his ball.
0: Yeah, I didn't know he was a Londoner actually. Obviously there there is a lot of that, you know, the, the dual nationality thing. You know, the Kieran Clark at, at Newcastle and obviously you'll know um, when he was at Aston Villa he's he's another one just interesting that you mentioned Declan Rice there because obviously the two playing in you know similar roles it's probably a bit premature to ask really given that he's only played a handful of games for Lincoln um, but do you think that sort of the, the hype and the and the furore around Declan Rice within West Ham. Do you think that Coventry, perhaps, if he if he needed to progress, he'd probably have to drop down a level um, into maybe the Championship or League One and get a permanent move out there if he was going to make a good go of it, rather than you know being one of those players that that belongs to a Premier League club and with the to and froing of managers and and high profile players coming in and out. You know, one of those players that just gets caught up and and becomes sort of a pawn in in the in, in the club and keeps being loaned out here, there, and everywhere, and sort of just gets lost in in the shuffle. Do you feel that he probably need a move to you know a Championship club, a League One club, to to cement his place in in Stephen Kenny's mind in the international setup over the next couple of
1: years? I'd say that's probably what will happen because the, the way West Ham are at the moment, they seem to have a new manager every few months. So. I don't think it's the best environment for maybe any young player to progress, and especially with Rice already there and with the midfielders they already have, it's going to be hard for him to break through. So I think he probably will end up leaving, and I think perhaps it it could be the best for the best idea for him in the future because it it's going to be hard for him to break into the team, and it's probably going to be hard for him to get a Premier League move if he were to leave West Ham because defensive midfielders are they're not really as maybe as sexy in the transfer market because of the roles they play. They don't have great stats. There. You, you won't see this player is, is 19 or this player is 20 and they've scored five goals already or they've scored 10 goals or they're really lighting it up in League One. It's, it's kind of hard to, to monetize that the same way for defensive-minded players. So I think maybe we will see him leave the club and go to the championship, perhaps maybe next season he might have a championship alone before they decide to move on from him in a couple of years permanently.
0: player that we perhaps haven't mentioned who we should mention is um 20 year old Aaron Connolly who's been playing probably the most regularly uh, at, at the highest level for, for Brighton over the past six to eight months or so um especially this season under, under Graham Potter as a player do you like his style do you like him sort of and then do you like the fact that he, you know he's, he's getting regular regular minutes
1: at a good level does he deserve it for a first and foremost I think he does deserve that. I think he has all the right attributes and he definitely has the right mindset to be a success. So it's great to see an Irish teenager, now an Irish 20-year-old, but last year an Irish teenager get so many minutes in the Premier League. It, it was some, It's something that's kind of a rarity for, for Irish players, especially with the way the Premier League has gone, that so many teams now just buy international players and buy players from Europe or South America or whatever whereas 20 years ago you would have seen much more Irish players breaking through because the Premier League wasn't as globalised. But It was fantastic to see, but those minutes, unfortunately, they've kind of, from his brilliant start where he scored those two goals against Spurs, he's not maybe starting as regularly, but that might help ease the pressure on him and as much mightn't be as expected from him, which could be a good thing. He's the pressure might be off his shoulders a bit more, and he might play with a bit more freedom then. But uh, going back to what we were saying earlier, Mick McCarthy g- gave an interview this week, and one of the first questions he was asked was about Parrott, obviously. And Mick had a snide remark about Connolly: "Oh, you're not asking me about Connolly anymore because that's all he was asked asked about before he gave Connolly his international debut was was Connolly." And he was saying, "Oh, you're not asking me because he's not getting the same amount of minutes anymore." So Mick kind of had this snide remark that. All you ever do is ask me, about oh, these young guys, but I'm here to play the older fellas. So I think maybe Connolly probably probably mightn't take to the field in, in March or maybe he might come off the bench, but he won't be a, a starter for Ireland or under Mick McCarty. But I think as soon as Stephen Kenny comes in, you will probably see him as one of the first names on the team sheet because I think he is this kind of quality forward and he's capable of making a difference and he's capable of... Taking his chances I, I know he hasn't scored since since those games since those goals against Spurs but he's he's the right sort of mindset that he is a player who if he has a series of misses or a series of games where he hasn't gone a, he hasn't scored a goal that's not going to affect him so I think he has all the right attributes to be a long-term success
0: yeah, he seems like a self-assured footballer in the fact that you know he's been a 19-year-old 19, 19 playing in the Premier League, playing with a bit of pomp, playing with a bit of swagger and confidence, so, which is always good to see. He seems to be quite a versatile player as well, which at that age is always going to help you because the more versatile you are, the more minutes you're likely to get, obviously spread out over different positions. For Ireland, perhaps do you see him playing more on the right or more on the left or or through the middle? Um, you know, because obviously he's played in a variety of different positions. You know, from Premier League Two level, where like Adam Ida, scored a lot of goals, but also for, for Brighton when he's when he's had time this season.
1: Yeah, I think he's probably going to end up and wide for Ireland. Now. I'm not sure he's he has the kind of deadly instinct in front of goal to be the the central figure in an attack, even under Stephen Kenny. I, I think you might see him drift out and play on the left or or even on the right of maybe try, try Parrot or Gavin McHenney is in the team. I think Connolly's probably best suited to playing on the wing and maybe putting the head down and getting down the, the wing and putting in the ball and that sort of player, maybe a, an upgrade on James McLean. Yeah, it seems entirely plausible. And with, you know, James McLean
0: getting to, you know, that, the, the wrong end of the 20s, so to, so to speak, coming into his 30s, th- then there seems to be sort of, I mean, I use this word a lot, but there seems to be a pathway for, for Connolly in that role, which I suppose is quite a good sort of natural progression from from one player who's, you know, he's going to try and beat players to another. Um, so there wouldn't, wouldn't be that much upheaval in the way that the team would play. I'm just thinking, you know, he's, Aaron Connolly's a player who's, who's kind of skipped that League Two, League One championship development phase and gone straight into, into that Brighton team. And yes, he's not getting as many minutes now, but he, he was at the beginning of the season. And you'd imagine that he will, as he continues to develop, get more time on the pitch. Just touching on the championship again, um, there is there, there's a, another Irish under 21 international in there uh, who I'd like to discuss. And it's mainly because whenever we posted uh, on the Twitter about Ireland's young players coming through, we always seem to get replies uh, asking us to take a look at Jason Malumby at uh, Millwall. And just at a base level, he doesn't seem to create a great deal, but he does seem to be a good distributor, which, again, you need a lot of different skill sets in a side. And I suppose that is is an invaluable one. I mean, we see Calvin Phillips at Leeds. He's a fantastic distributor. Um, is, is it a concern that he's maybe not
1: the most creative number eight, or, or is that just the way that he's going to play? I think that's the way he's going to play. I think if you look at the sort of player that he is, He's not going to be one of these headline-grabbing players, but he is one of these players that is going to be influential on the rest of the team, and he is the kind of player who can make a difference where a team might be lagging in the second half or something. He might help rally around the troops, and that's the reason that, that Stephen Kenny has given him the under-21 the under armband, because he has this kind of leadership, and he didn't ever say die attitude. and I suppose he's not going to jump out in the statistics but. If you look back at some of the Premier League's best ever midfielders, maybe you mightn't see Paul Scholes say jump out in the statistics either. But when you watch him, he passes the eye test every time. And I think Malumbi is one of these players that, when you watch him, you'll know why he's a success. You mightn't be able to to see it in in the statistics, but when you when you look at him play and you look at the way he he sets up play and he brings other players into the game and he tracks back and he makes tackles and he does tactical fouls, and he has the dark arts of the game down already, even though he's only a young guy. I think he, probably of all the names that we mentioned, I think he will be the biggest player and the most important player for Ireland because central midfield is somewhere that Ireland have been lacking or haven't really shown that much. Because Glenn Whelan, he's, while he's a, a great servant to Ireland, he's been pilloried by Irish fans for nearly two decades now because all I think he does is pass it sideways and kind of just stands in the centre circle but you have a guy you like Molumbi who will not only do that but he'll run around and he'll make the tackles that'll make the fans stand up I, I think he's going to be a hugely popular for Ireland
0: yeah he definitely seems like a player just from seeing a few snippets of him at Millwall seems like a player that people like because of the, the attributes and the features of his game that you can't quantify with statistics you know that you know like you say those tactical fouls um, you know that that fight that determination the spirit and and the leadership which you know are things that you can't type into a computer and work out which yeah I think you need you know you need in a squad and and I suppose with with fan bases like Ireland's or or Scotlands you know something like that that you know fans really get behind that sort of endeavor and yeah I'd say I mean, you're coming from a much more informed standpoint than I am, but you know, I'd echo the sentiment that you know he could be a very important player because he just he doesn't look like a 20-year-old playing regularly in the in the Championship. He looks a lot more seasoned than that. Uh, I don't know how how much you'll know about Gary Rowett or the situation at Millwall, but do you think he's a coach who'll want to keep Malumbi at the club going forward? You know, has he done enough essentially to, to stake a claim as a reliable you know 40, 60, 80 appearance central midfielder in, in the second tier?
1: I think he has and I think the fans kind of have grown warm to him and I think he will he, really be looking to keep him in the long term but that obviously depends on what his senior team thinks and whether he'll actually be allowed to leave again by Brighton next season. I'm not sure, depending on their situation next season, what league they're playing in or stuff like that. I'm not sure whether they, they would be comfortable allowing him to leave for a a second loan spell or whether they'll need them in the Premier League to to maybe stay up or battle relegation or things like that because I think if you were a side battle and relegation and like you said the the likes of Ireland or the likes of Scotland at, at an international level it's players that have this sort of determination that can be the difference between a loss and a draw or a draw and a win and I think any club that are kind of in the bottom half of the table would kind of kill for a player like this
0: uh, aside from those guys that we just mentioned uh, are, are there any others that you think perhaps deserve a mention perhaps at, at younger age groups or some of the 22 23 year olds that we haven't perhaps touched
1: on yeah I, th- I think the big one for me at the moment is probably josh cullen who's also a west ham player but out on loan he's he is 23 for another few months so he fits your criteria for the moment but unfortunately by the summer he'll He'll be gone on to the next stage, and you'll no longer interested in in hearing about him on scouting <laughs> football. But for for the moment, he's playing he's playing out on loan at Charlton. He was injured for a while, and he came back. And when he came back, I think the, the fans were kind of so happy that that he was back in the team. And he's just a, another defensive midfielder who won't have a great stat sheet with loads of goals, but he's just one of these deep line playmakers who can he sees. The game going on around him, and he knows exactly how to find a teammate, kind of at all times. And he'll pick up these great positions off the ball, and he'll look for the ball at every time. And he ha- he has no problem, even though he's a he's a small kind of slight guy. I think he's only five foot nine or something like that. He has no problem taking the ball with his back to goal and kind of turning on it, and then finding a the teammate. And it's not normal for Ireland to have maybe a ball playing midfielder like him. And I think in the long run. After missing out on Declan Rice, I think he'll have more chances to get into the Ireland midfield because of that. But I think he actually could go on to have a better career, despite playing in the same position as Declan Rice. I just think he's a just a, a much better footballer. And I think the only thing maybe that's holding him back on a lot of coaches, and especially Premier League coaches, is just the fact that he's a small guy. Yeah, I'd come across Josh Cullen um, just from watching Charlton this season. But I
0: suppose his limelight has very much been stolen by the... The shining light that, that was Connor Gallagher in the first half of that season but yeah I, th- I think we'll definitely be keeping an eye on him for sure because you know even when he turns 24 he's not dead to us you know we we, we might have a little bit of leeway for, for for certain players but he's playing at a good level he's playing at a, a sort of a rugged team that you know have to dig in and and grind out results I mean the, the today that we're recording you know Charlton won uh, 1-0 at Forest last night and You know, it's again, it's another battling performance. Um, So I think again, the, the the attributes that you just mentioned there, he seems like a player that suits that setup quite well. We, we regularly do sort of a player to watch feature. You know, someone who might have good fixtures coming up, breaking into the team, or or, or likely to get minutes to, due to injury to a first team regular. Um, I mean, do you have an, an under twenty three player uh, over the next couple of weeks that that people should keep an eye on, or at least look out for their progress if they can't watch the games? You know, pr- preferably an Irish one, given the the topic of this podcast.
1: Yeah, I think one that might be worth looking at at the moment is West Brom defender Dara O'Shea. He's a, a Dubliner who, who spent all his career at West Brom, but he had a couple of kind of loan spells at, at really low leagues. But this season he kind of broken into the team, and he I think he was their best player at the weekend. He's only played he's only played four times so far this season, but at the weekend he was he was kind of one of their their best players, and I think he's one to keep an eye on. He yeah, plays right back and centre back, <clears throat> as far as I know. He scored, didn't
0: he, Um, against, against yeah. Millwall. A neat yeah. little header at the near post, yeah. yeah. I saw that, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. so so I, I think he, the fact that he has kind of just come onto the radar at West Brom, I think he could be the one to watch in the coming weeks to see how he develops and whether he can kind of prove himself at the Championship level because Ireland actually have a couple of defenders at a Championship level this, this season, a couple of young guys that, that are in the Ireland twenty one squad that, that can kind of maybe form a defensive partnership or part of the defence for, for, for the long term in Ireland you have Nathan Collins at Stoke as well he's he's not kind of guaranteed to start at the moment but he has been an important player for, for Stoke at times this season and he's kind of already got maybe a dozen championship games under his belt even though he's, under eight, he's only 18 and he's not even 19. I think players like this are definitely ones to watch Ireland is always known for producing solid defenders and I think these these guys could add their names to the the long line of good centre-backs. That player to
0: watch feature brings us to a close for this episode. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed some really in depth analysis on Ireland's younger players today. Uh, and I think a lot of it will ring true in, in the coming months and years with, with the setup of the, the Irish national team, You know, Stephen Kenny, his accession to the job, and that sort of thing. Uh, thank you very much to, to Ronan for, for joining us. Um, your insight's been invaluable, and best of luck with things going forward. Uh, just before you go, do you have any projects or, or anything that you're working out on that you'd like to plug to everybody listening?
2: Uh,
1: not necessarily. I just uh, I usually just do kind of weekly different features at the Bundesliga and then I do a couple of columns for different sites, Football Critic and Football Index, the, the football stock market, you know. I do their Bundesliga preview every week. So I usually share my own work on, on Twitter. So if you want to keep an eye on me there, I'm, that's where I'm at Paul as the, the earlier story went. So if you keep an eye on that, I, you, you might see what I'm up to.
0: Yeah, definitely check out Roland's Twitter. Um, Always very good for Bundesliga, always very good for for Irish football as well. And as he mentioned, at swear I'm not Paul, uh, that that tag will be in the description for this episode. Um, But yeah, thank you very much for joining us on this one. Uh, Thank you very much for listening. And uh, yeah, we've been the Scouted Football Podcast. Thank you very much. Bye bye.